And I invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to the book of Philippians. It's my joy once again to open God's Word with you as our teaching pastor is still on vacation. He will return to the pulpit next week. But this morning, I want to look at the book of Philippians. As I mentioned last week, we're taking a short break from our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Luke to spend a few weeks on a summer sermon series entitled, Biblical Answers to Common Problems. Last week, we looked at Scripture's sufficiency for our problems. From Paul's words in 2 Timothy 3, we saw why God's Word is sufficient to deal with life's problems. And starting this week and over the next few weeks, we'll examine how God's Word sufficiently deals with our problems. We'll look at an issue of the heart and then look at how God's Word instructs us to respond biblically. This morning we'll look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. And if you're using a pew Bible, you'll find it on page 1166. So follow along as I read Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13. God's Word says, from the mouth of the Apostle Paul, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly now at length, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come before you and Lord, we recognize like the Apostle Paul what it is like to be brought low, what it's like to abound, what it's like to face plenty and hunger. Father, we come before you this morning and we ask for your grace as we seek to understand and apply your words to our hearts as we seek to cultivate contentment amidst whatever life throws at us. Father, help us now. Help us to find Christ as our treasure and to be content in Him no matter what. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, Tom Brady is widely considered one of the greatest quarterbacks to play the game football. And if I've already made you mad, stick with me. In a 2005 interview with 60 Minutes, after winning his third Super Bowl in four years, Brady said this. Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me. 
I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I've reached my goal, my dream, my life. But for me, I think it's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. From a worldly achievement standpoint, Brady has it all. Money, fame, and success. But when you listen to him, it is clear that he is far from satisfied. In fact, he is utterly discontent. And while many of Brady's experiences are unique to an all-pro NFL quarterback, discontentment is common to us all. People are discontent with their cars, and so every couple of years they go into debt to upgrade to the latest and greatest model. We're discontent with our cell phones, our tablets, and our computers, always excited for that next release day. The entire advertising industry is built on the principle of sowing discontentment. In fact, in 2021 alone, U.S. advertisers spent almost $300 billion trying to convince people that they needed to buy something that they didn't have. And in stark contrast to the discontentment in our society, the Bible calls us as followers of Jesus Christ to a life of contentment. 1 Timothy 6 Verses 7 and 8, Paul says, We brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. In Hebrews 13.5, the writer of Hebrews says, Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. In our passage this morning, Paul says in verse 11 that he knows he is to be content. And so it's clear from these verses that the Bible not only identifies contentment as a virtue, but it prescribes it as a command. And before we go any further looking at biblical contentment, we need a clear definition of what contentment is. In his book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, Puritan pastor Jeremiah Burroughs writes this, and It's not a short definition, but I think you'll get the gist of it. Burroughs defines contentment as that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Or as one author simplifies it, contentment is that inward, gracious quiet spirit that joyfully rests in God's providence. The opposite of contentment is discontentment. Merriam-Webster defines discontentment as a lack of satisfaction with one's possessions, status, or situation. And if we're honest, we know that our hearts are not immune to discontentment. It's clear from Scripture that discontentment can lead us into various other sins. James chapter 4 verses 1 and 2 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? 
that your passions are at war within you, that you desire and you do not have and so you murder, and you covet and you cannot attain, so you fight and quarrel. Dissatisfaction with our possessions, our status, our life situation can bubble up in our hearts and can reveal themselves in a variety of ways. For you, maybe discontentment leads you to covet. Thinking that contentment can be found in in having. Whether that's having a relationship, whether that's having a thing, or whether that's having an achievement. Or maybe for you, discontentment leads you to grumble or complain. Maybe discontentment causes you to believe that, that you are not getting what you deserve, and so you grumble and complain. Or discontentment may lead you to anger or bitterness. Having a short fuse with others when, when things don't go your way, or, or fault-finding, criticizing, and condemning others when they don't do what you want them to do. When you don't like what they're doing. And so no matter what sinful fruit it bears in our lives, we realize that our hearts are not immune to discontentment. And so the question is, how can we pursue contentment? Right? If our hearts struggle with discontentment, and we know that God calls us to a life of contentment, then the question is, how do we cultivate contentment in our hearts? And that's the question that Paul addresses in our passage this morning. And Paul's answer to that question comes at the end of his letter to the book of Philippians in his closing remarks to the church at Philippi. The Philippian church had sent Paul a financial gift through Epaphroditus. And Paul wants to thank them for their monetary gift. Paul relied on gifts like that. At the time, in in the Roman system, prisoners were dependent upon outside support for absolutely everything. And so while Paul is sitting in Rome under house arrest, this monetary gift would allow him to to pay his rent, to buy food and clothing, and to continue to spread the gospel. And so after Paul receives this gift, he, he writes back to the Philippians. And he wants to update them on how he is doing. He wants to encourage them to live lives worthy of the gospel. And he wants to express his thanks for their generosity. But note that that in this thank you note, while Paul wants to communicate his his great joy, he wants to note, he wants them to see that his contentment, that his joy did not spring from a heart of discontentment. Even though Paul was in a challenging situation, he didn't want the church at Philippi to think that he had been discontent before their gift had arrived. And so Paul, in the midst of this thank you note, sets out to model what it looks like to be content in Christ. Paul holds himself out as an example of contentment for the believers in Philippi and for us today so that we too can learn, as Paul says, the secret of contentment. And so this morning, 
in Philippians 4, verses 10 to 13, we're going to see three characteristics of Christian contentment that will help us to cultivate contentment regardless of life circumstances. We'll see three truths that will aid us in cultivating contentment in our hearts. The first truth that we see is that contentment is persuaded by God's providence. Contentment is persuaded by God's providence. Look at verse 10. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Paul begins verse 10 rejoicing. The Philippian church and him had a long history. The church at Philippi had a long history of supporting Paul. It was through the gospel preaching of Paul at Philippi that that church was founded. And from the moment that Paul left Philippi to minister to other cities, the church at Philippi generously supported him. But according to verse 10, there had been a considerable amount of time since their last financial gift to Paul. He says, now at length you have revived your concern for me. And as the Philippians would read that phrase, now at length, or your translation might say, now at last, they may have wondered if Paul was issuing a a subtle rebuke to them for, for waiting so long to support him again. But anticipating that misconception, Paul assures the Philippians that he's not attempting to rebuke them. He describes their gift in this verse as a manifestation of their revived concern for him. That term revived, it's a horticultural term. And it refers to plants and flowers blooming again. It's the imagery of something that has existed but has recently come into a fresh bloom. It's the picture of a plant or a tree blossoming again in the spring after a long summer. The tree wasn't dead. The tree had life, but it merely blossomed again. And Paul uses this term because he recognizes that the Philippians had repeatedly and consistently cared about him and that their concern for him had not gone away, but it had recently been revived or blossomed through another financial gift. And then in the second half of verse 10, To further uh, dispel any misconceptions, Paul adds, You were indeed concerned for me, but you lacked opportunity. He says, but you had no opportunity. Paul knows that the Philippians were always concerned for, for him. But they lacked the opportunity to express that concern. Now, Paul doesn't state why they lacked an opportunity. Maybe they weren't aware of his financial needs. It could have been that since they themselves were a church in poverty, 2 Corinthians 8 tells us, that they lacked the resources to help Paul. It could have been that amidst all of his travel, they didn't know his exact location. But whatever the reason, Paul knew that the Philippians' love and support for him was there all along. But something outside of their control prevented them from helping him. Their care was constant, 
but they lacked opportunity. And at the moment that they had the opportunity to help Paul, they sent him money. Their concern revived itself, and Paul rejoiced. But notice that while Paul is thankful for the Philippians' gift, his rejoicing is ultimately, what does verse 10 say? In the Lord. His joy was not in them or in the gift. It was in the Lord. Why? Why is Paul rejoicing in the Lord? Because ultimately Paul knows that the Philippians' generous gift came from the hand of the Lord. Paul rejoices in the Lord because he knows that God is the one who provided to the Philippians the opportunity, the finances, and and even the messenger to deliver this gift. What does that have to do about contentment, though? You see, so Paul, recognizing all of this, wasn't sitting in prison frustrated with the Philippians, wondering when they were going to send him another gift. He wasn't sitting in prison worried about whether his next meal would come from. Instead, Paul knew that his God was absolutely sovereign over every aspect of his life, and because of that, he could be content. And Paul was content because he accepted all of his circumstances as coming from the hand of God. And here we see that contentment is persuaded by. Contentment is anchored in God's providence. Providence, it refers to God's active and continuous involvement in our lives where he brings all things and he uses all things to bring about his divine purpose. In God's sovereign providence, he he weaves together all of the elements of our lives to fulfill his purposes. And you see, Paul is content because he recognizes that the times, the seasons, and the opportunities of his life are controlled by the providence of God who works all things, Ephesians 1.11. All things after the counsel of his own will. And who causes all things, Romans 8, 28, to work together for those who love God. You see, Christian contentment is persuaded by, is grounded in God's providence. Recognizing that God is in control, working every aspect of our lives according to his plan. And so, in order to cultivate contentment in our lives, we too must be persuaded by God's providence. In other words, to cultivate contentment in your heart, you need to recognize that God has orchestrated your present circumstances, and they are precisely what God, in his wisdom, in his love, and in his grace, has providentially determined to provide for you. Your times are in his hands. Friends, one of the most important keys to enjoying true and lasting contentment is a rock-solid trust in the providence of God. So if you find yourself this morning in a desperate situation, you can know that, that you are in that situation not by chance, but by the providence of God. God has put you there for your good and 
His glory. Whether it's a little crisis, a disruption in our day, or a life-altering crisis, we can be content because we are persuaded by God's providence. But second, Christian contentment is not only persuaded by God's providence, Christian contentment is also unswayed by life's circumstances. Look at verses 11 and 12. Paul begins verse 11 with another disclaimer. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need. Just as Paul had anticipated one misunderstanding in verse 10, he corrects another in verse 11. That word need, it it refers to being in a condition where you lack that which is essential. And here, Paul does not deny that he is lacking basic essentials, food and clothing. But what he does deny is that his contentment and his joy came only after the Philippians' gift. You see, Paul's joy, his contentment, is not in his improved financial situation. His contentment is not in his circumstances. Christian contentment, Paul says, is unswayed by life's circumstances. Because in whatever situation he's in, Paul says, he was content. And now it's important to note that Paul is no ivory tower theologian. Paul is not speaking here in hypothetical terms. He's no Monday morning quarterback. And to prove that, Paul catalogs a wide range of experiences that he faced in his life. Verse 12, Paul says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And in this list, we see three contrasting situations, and they cover the entire spectrum of the Christian life. And through this list, Paul teaches us that Christian contentment is unswayed by life's circumstances. It is unswayed by what we lack and by what we have. Notice first that Paul's contentment was unswayed by what he lacked. He said that he can be content while being brought low, while facing hunger, and while having need. To be brought low, it means to be humbled or to lose a privilege or a status. And so whether Paul was humbled or whether he was hungry or needed clothing or whatever resource, he was nevertheless content. And this was true of Paul, not only sitting in prison chained to a Roman soldier, Or, it was also true throughout the rest of his life. Prior to his imprisonment in 2 Corinthians 11, he wrote that he had been in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Paul's contentment was unswayed by what he lacked. Is this true of us? Because most of us find ourselves at times thinking that what we need in life is a little bit more of this and a little bit less of that. 
And we often think this way because we've bought into the lie that, at least to some degree, that our contentment is dependent on our circumstances. We've bought into the lie that for me to be content, I need the immediate removal of X, Y, and Z and the immediate abundant addition of A, B, and C. Right? Many times the, the secret cry of our heart is, Lord, give me this. Many times the, the secret cry of our hearts is something like, Lord, if you will only change my spouse, if you'll give me a nicer home, then I'll be content. Or if you improve my financial situation, if you heal my physical problem, if you bless me with X, Y, and Z, a successful career or whatever, then I'll be satisfied. Many times when, when we find ourselves in undesirable circumstances, our desire in that moment is, Lord, get me out of it and then I will be content. And in contrast to the discontentment that can bubble up in our hearts, Paul says that he was content even in the most difficult of circumstances. But it's also important to note here that while Christian contentment is unswayed by life's circumstances, it's not indifferent to life's circumstances. While our contentment is independent from our circumstances, our contentment is not indifferent to our circumstances. You see, at this time, Paul was writing in an age when the popular philosophy of the day was called Stoicism. And Stoicism taught that to be content was to learn to be indifferent to our circumstances, to live a life that was disconnected from passions and emotions. But in contrast to Stoicism, we see that while Paul was content, no matter what was going on in his life, he was certainly not indifferent to what was happening around him. He was not emotionless. He was not disconnected. Throughout this entire letter, we see that Paul has emotions. In chapter 1, verse 8, he, he yearns to be with the Philippians. He's not with them, but he wants to be. In chapter 2, verse 27, he speaks about the, the sorrow that he would have if Epaphroditus were to die. In chapter 4, verse 1, he speaks about his love for the Philippians. You see, his contentment was unswayed by his circumstances, but it was not indifferent to them. So Paul's contentment was not unswayed by what he lacked, and neither was it unswayed by what he had. Notice second, that Christian contentment is unswayed by what we have. Look again at verse 12. Paul says that he can be content while he abounds, faces plenty, and has abundance. You see, just as his contentment was not tied to suffering lack, we see that it's also not tied to times of relative prosperity. Paul's not only content with little, he's also content with much. And while we don't have very many examples of this throughout 
Paul's letters, you can only imagine times where Paul would be abundant in his circumstances. When the church of Philippi was founded, there's no doubt great feasts that were happening amongst the believers there. And in his abundance, Paul was content. Now, you might say, well, isn't it easier to be content with abundance? Well, that might be true, but even in our abundance, our hearts are often discontent, wanting more. In fact, research shows that even those who seem to have the most still lack contentment. In a study conducted by Boston College, researchers talked with people whose fortunes exceeded $25 million. The goal of the study was to get rich people to speak candidly about their lives. That's the study's words, not mine. And to quote from the study, they concluded this. The respondents turn out to be a generally dissatisfied lot whose money has contributed to deep anxieties involving love, work, and family. Indeed, they are frequently dissatisfied even with their sizable fortunes. Most of them still do not consider themselves to be financially secure. For that, they say, would require, on average, one quarter more wealth than they currently possess. Billionaire John D. Rockefeller was once asked how much money it would take for him to be happy, to which he replied, just a little bit more. And so in contrast to that discontentment, we see that Paul was content even in his abundance. And so regardless if Paul was brought low or abounding, facing plenty or hunger, abundance and need, in whatever situation he found himself in, he was content. And his contentment did not depend on his varying circumstances. But then how was Paul able to be content regardless of his circumstances? How was it that Paul's contentment was unswayed by life's circumstances, either by what he had or by what he lacked? And how do we then cultivate contentment in our hearts so that our contentment is unswayed by life's circumstances? And the answer is that he learned it. He learned it. Look back at verse 11. Paul says, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And we see it repeated in verse 12. He says that he knows how to do these things. And he says, In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Here we see that contentment is not natural to mankind. It must be learned and it must be cultivated in our hearts. Paul was not naturally content. He didn't become content instantaneously. He didn't take a pill and the next day wake up all of a sudden content. Rather, he learned it. This was a lesson that he learned over time, bit by bit, test by test, 
circumstance by circumstance. I think of 2 Corinthians chapter 10 where Paul speaks about having a thorn in his flesh and he asked the Lord three times to remove it. And what does the Lord say? My grace is sufficient for you. I'm not going to remove it, but I'll help you through it. And after that, Paul says, he learned how to be content. And this truth should encourage our hearts this morning because as we seek to cultivate contentment, we realize that it's not going to happen instantaneously. It didn't for Paul and neither will it for us. It's something that God must teach us as we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Through study and through prayer, we seek to grow each and every day more and more content. And while we'll never do it perfectly, this side of heaven, when we realize that discontentment has bubbled up in our hearts as we're, we're committing that sin, we repent and we turn to the Lord, our gracious Heavenly Father, who forgives us. We turn to Christ who was content in every situation and we look how we can press on. But what exactly did Paul learn? And what is it that we need to learn if we are going to be content and unswayed by life's circumstances? Paul says that he learned the secret of contentment. He learned the secret of contentment. Now the word secret, which he uses in verse 12, is, is borrowed from pagan mystery religions. And it's a word that speaks about being initiated into these pagan mystery religions practices. It was a word used for having insider knowledge, like the, the junior hires handshakes on Wednesday nights. I'm still trying to get in. But Paul says he was content, he was unswayed by life's circumstances because he had insider knowledge. And verse 13, we'll go on to, to flesh this out more, but he says in verse 13 that he's content, he's learned the secret, that the secret of contentment means being inside, it means being in Christ. The word through, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in verse 13, would better be translated in. And so Paul learns that the secret to contentment was that he was in Christ. And because he was in Christ, he could be content, unswayed by life's circumstances, because he valued Christ more than his circumstances. Because Paul was in Christ, because he learned the secret of contentment in Christ, he could say in chapter 1 and verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To die is gain, it means to, to survey all the wonderful things that death can take from us and to prefer Christ as more valuable, such that the loss of those things is considered gain. And in the same way, to live as Christ means to survey all the wonderful things that life can give to us, can offer us, and to prefer Christ as more valuable, such that we view all that we have, all of our abundance, as something that is dispensable because we have Christ. You see, Paul was 
content because he was in Christ. Because through saving faith, he was redeemed by his sin and he was united to Christ. And in light of all of that, he can say in Philippians 3.8 that he counts everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, Paul learned the secret of contentment because he learned to keep his focus on his relationship with Christ rather than his circumstances. His focus was on Christ, not on his circumstances. And so whether he had much or little, he was content because he had Christ as his Savior. He was content because his sins were forgiven. And so it didn't matter whether he gained or whether he lost because he valued his life with Christ. He valued his union with Christ more than anything else. And so if you are in Christ this morning, if you've put your faith in Christ, then when difficult circumstances come your way, you can be content because you are in Christ. And your contentment is not in your ever-changing circumstances, but it's in the Lord Jesus Christ who never changes. Who Hebrews 13.8 says is the same yesterday and today and forever. We can't say that about our circumstances, but we can say that about our Savior. You can be content because it's not based on what you have or what you lack, but in Christ who you, you value more than anything else in this world. So Christian contentment is not only persuaded by God's providence and unswayed by life's circumstances, it is finally also fueled by Christ's power. It's fueled by Christ's power. You say, okay, I, I get all that, but how, how do I do it? Look at verse 13. Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, Philippians 4.13 is one of the most frequently quoted verses in the Bible. And simultaneously, it is one of the Bible's most misunderstood and misapplied verses. It's taped on the ceiling above the bench press in the weight room. It is affixed on the edges of bathroom mirrors. And it's been the subject of countless, countless needlepoints and calligraphies. If you don't believe me, just go on Etsy. But sadly, and, and none of those things are wrong if we actually understand the verse in context, right? I'm not, I'm not docking you if you have that written somewhere. But sadly, it's often misapplied. It's, it's often removed from its context and used as like an inspirational snippet that says, I can do everything through Christ. I can do everything, anything, especially the, the really hard things, the extraordinary things that you probably can't actually do. Through Christ, because he strengthens me. But this verse does not mean to imply that, that Christ is some magical genie in a bottle. It doesn't mean that you can do everything you want to do. This verse will not turn you into a pilot, nor will it help you shoot 70 on the golf course. 
as with every other verse in Scripture, right? What, do, what does our Bible study teach us? The phrase, I can do all things, is, is governed by the context of the passage. And so Paul says that he can experience all of those things. He can experience plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Why? He can experience all of those things with contentment because he is fueled by Christ's power. He's pointing out the the source of our Christian contentment that to be content in any and every circumstance depends upon Christ. The Stoic philosophy of Paul's day taught that the content man should be, quote, self-sufficient unto himself for all things and able by the power of his own will to resist the force of circumstances. But Paul here does not believe himself to be self-sufficient. He was content. But the strength he needed to be content came not from himself, but from Christ. And this is so important because as Paul was in Christ, and in Christ Paul received the strength to be content, so too we this morning, by the grace of God, are in Christ. And so it is in Christ that we have the strength and the power to be content. Whatever circumstances come our way, we have the strength to meet them, not in ourselves, but in Christ. And as we rely on Christ, he will provide you, dear believer, with everything necessary, with all of the power necessary for you to be content even in your most difficult situations. You see, last week, we saw that God's word is sufficient to equip us for every good work. And this week, We see in Philippians 4.13 that Christ is sufficient to strengthen us to be content in any and every circumstance. To be content in our marriages. To be content with what we have. To be content with the, the weather outside. Just, you know, when you walk out and it's 90 degrees. In Christ, we have the strength to be content. In God's word, we have the wisdom, instruction to teach us about contentment. And in God's son, we have the power to be content. In summarizing this reality, Jeremiah Burroughs, again in his book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, writes this. He says, a Christian finds satisfaction in every circumstance by getting strength from another, by going out of himself to Jesus Christ, by his faith acting upon Christ and bringing the strength of Jesus into his own soul, he is thereby enabled to bear whatever God lays on him by the strength that he finds in Jesus Christ. There is strength in Christ, not only to sanctify and save us, but strength to support us under all our burdens and afflictions. And Christ expects that when we are under any burden, we should act our faith upon him to draw virtue and strength from him. Believer, you are not sufficient in yourself. 
to face your circumstances. That's why the the hymn says, when all around my hope gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. And so when we face daunting circumstances, may we cultivate contentment by running to Christ, by running to our Savior who modeled contentment, by running to our Savior who gives us the power and the fuel for contentment. May we run to Christ seeing that he is sufficient not only to save us from our sins, but to strengthen us to be content in any and every circumstance. And may may we, by God's grace, cultivate contentment in our hearts by being persuaded by God's providence, by being unswayed by life's circumstances, and being fueled by Christ's power. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, you are our refuge and strength. And Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, in a variety of different life situations. And yet, Lord, whatever we face, whether our struggle with contentment may be little or maybe much, Lord, we know from these words that we have the power to be content in Christ our Savior. That we can be content regardless of our situations because Christ has purchased salvation for us. That he is more valuable than anything else this world has to offer. Father, guide us and direct us. Lord, help us to apply these truths to our hearts for our good and for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.